Thank you for listening to Combat Zone 360, where we discuss everything military. Today on our show, we have a Vietnam veteran who joined the Army at the age of 17. His story shows an abundance of resiliency. Thank you for joining us today, James. Yeah, thank you, Jay, for having me on, on the show. I really appreciate it. No, anytime. You know, I, I want our listeners to really learn about James Boyd. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? James Boyd, okay. James Boyd, I'm a 70-year-old Vietnam veteran. Uh, like Jay said, I went in the military at age 17 with the consent of my mother, of course. Uh, but let mm-hmm. me let me re- digress. I, I um, grew up on South 6th Street in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and I, I came up kind of rough, uh, on the rough side of town, uh, so to speak. Um, I was doing bad in school, and two of my friends, uh, Jeffrey and Bill, a.k.a. Salim and uh, Hassan, it didn't go on now. But uh, getting back to this story, um, so I grew up on, uh, in the South 10th Street area in New, New Jersey, and uh, I quit school at 16. I started using drugs at age 14, heroin. Uh, on South 10th Street. And um, so that was kind of, in hindsight, that was kind of the beginning of my, my story and uh, part of the journey that I've taken. But uh, getting back to the military, I uh, dropped out of school. My friends joined. They, we wanted to go in the Marines because we had marching up and down the street all the time. Everybody was coming out of reform school and, and in, for, in reform school, Jamesburg in particular, uh, we, they marched. They marched you to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everybody marched when you're incarcerated like that. So we were marching. We were imitating what we did in, in reform, reform school. And, and a couple of the guys had been there in reform school and came out and was back in the neighborhood. And that was the influence, I guess. Started using heroin at 14. I enlisted in the military at 17 because I couldn't go in the, the Marines on the buddy-buddy plan with my two friends, and I certainly wasn't going to stay behind, so I just begged my mother, begged my mother, Mom, please sign these papers. And she signed me in uh, mm-hmm. at 17, and I enlisted, went to... Now, I, go ahead. I want to find something out. So you started doing heroin at the age of 14. I did. What influenced you to start doing that? Peer pressure and curiosity, okay. and uh, we were... We were runaway kids, you know, we're incorrigible, really, mm-hmm. you know, and we always, in my neighborhood, everybody in, in, the, in those neighborhoods had somebody's basement that they called the clubhouse. <laughs> okay, and then when you ended up dropping out of high school, you, you were not built for school. No. I mean, I wasn't built for school either, but I, I did graduate and I did make it through. Um, so you went to your mother and, and you asked her. You know, hey, I'm 17 years old. I want to join the the military. How did that discussion go? Very badly, because I started spouting off being a man now. Okay. Yeah. For my 15th birthday, my mother gave me permission to smoke in the house. Okay. That was my 15th birthday. I, I'll never forget it. And I begged her to do it. Let me smoke in the house. I'm a man. I'm the man of the house because I grew up in a single parent 
family for the most part. You know, my mother had boyfriends and things that came into her life, but she, you know, I had a couple of stepfathers, uh, but I, I was I was very incorrigible. Um, so those streets kind of shaped uh, this journey that I took at 17. I went in the army and I went to Fort Dix and, you know, had AIT there, advanced infantry training, uh, you know, after basic and, and I got my uniform. Wow. And I, and I was, I was a strack troop right off the streets and in my platoon when I first went in, because I was the only black person in my, in my squad. Okay. Uh, not the whole platoon with my squad and they had, you know, black people, black guys were scattered around, but that wasn't, I mean, I didn't feel any bigotry or anything like that at that time. Cause I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to be a soldier. Okay. And what really influenced you to become that soldier? Because growing up in the rough streets of North, you dropped out of high school at 14, started using heroin, mm-hmm. ended up smoking in mom's house at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. 17 comes around, you beg mom to join the army. She signs off. You went to reform school. What is reform school? A reform school is something like this jail. Okay. For runaway kids. Okay. Or kids that get it, get arrested mm-hmm. and their parents don't come pick them up. Okay. Uh, the youth house. Gotcha. So the military at that point, the army was taking kids without high school diplomas. Yeah, because I couldn't get it. Today's army. I, I could, I mean, if, even if I, you know, at, my, at 17 with the lifestyle that I was leading then in today's army, I couldn't get in. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten in. I had track marks, but back then using heroin, uh, if you got addicted or got a habit, as we call it, you could, you could kick that habit at home in three or four days. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to join the army. So I devised a plan and I went and laid up in the house. And got the heroin and all out of my system. I didn't have no. I mean, I had track marks on my arms. That was obvious. That was obvious. Yeah. But I, I got into the army. I got in and I went to Fort Dix. I never forget Sergeant Barlow, <laughs> the first sergeant I met when he we got on that bus was coming. I remember. I remember it's, it was raining. Sergeant Barlow came on the bus and he stepped up. He was about six four, had that big smoky bear hat on. Mm-hmm. So he starts spouting off, you know, Jay, I ain't going to say that on this on this tape because it's uh, it's a family show. Yeah, Sergeant Barlow. But what he said inspired me. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be tough like that, you know, be able to do 100 push-ups and, and you know, run that mile and, and, you know, and do that low crawl up and down uh, and then call cadence. Exactly. I was good at it. So I became, you know, um, you know I, I, would, I would call cadence and march. Because I was, um, I, oh, I know what I got. I got the uh, instant NCO stripes in basic. You know, they just give you an armband. Yeah. Right. Let me <laughs> let me back up a little bit. So reform school in, influenced you to join the Army. Yes. Okay. And when you came into the Army, you joined as a heavy equipment operator. Yeah, I joined. That was the MOS. You know, they, they do some testing. Yeah. First, they put me in. Uh, they first they put me in Camo. Okay. Morris Code. Morris Code. Mm-hmm. And I think I lasted about two weeks. Gotcha. All them da 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 da. So you know, then then they sent me 
to start operating heavy equipment, trucks, Jeeps. Uh, I hadn't seen, before I went to Nam. I hadn't seen an ACAD, uh, which is a tank. Yeah. So Go ahead. when you joined back in 68, mm-hmm. they chose the job that you went into off of your ASVAB test. Right. Yeah, off of my test. Off of your entry-level test. Right. Okay. So you didn't even get a choice like they do today no. on what job you want to want to go into. Well, you just gave me some information because I didn't know that they <laughs> were doing yeah, it like yeah, that no. now. You know, yep. and, and then you get and to choose the job. But I wonder, and you get to you get to use the number that you carry throughout life nowadays. And I I take pride in the fact that I'm RA one one seven six five six nine two, and that number was given right. to me in 1968, and I still remember it because the Army is what I remember. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. All right. So we went on to join the military as a heavy equipment operator, and you joined in 1968. One year later, you shipped off to Vietnam. I did. I volunteered that too as well. Okay. So you volunteered. What made, what went through your head when you volunteered to go to Vietnam? Because a lot of people wanted nothing to do with Vietnam. Well, you know, we had a television at home, and there was this guy on television, uh, Audie Murphy. I would see him. Think, you know, we imitated him, uh, John Wayne. I mean, so I was coming straight off television with my ideology, my thinking. It was, um, it was like a, a feelings of grandeur, I guess. You know, it ex- it excited me to be able to to do things and put myself in harm's way, and then go to a commercial. Gotcha. If you, okay, so let me, can I explain that? Yeah, explain away. Yeah, so uh, going to a commercial, I mean, uh, watching television influenced mm-hmm. me. Uh, marching up in my neighborhood, so the things that, that people want to do and how you get away from somewhere. I was, I was trying to get away, uh, but it wasn't, wasn't reality for me in war. I, you know, I knew nothing about that a person going to war might not come back that wasn't that wasn't what i was thinking about i wasn't thinking about any of that until right and i really didn't believe how effective war can be on the psyche until i actually saw somebody get shot yeah and they had they had a uh, wound what was a sucking chest wound with blood spouting up in the air Mm-hmm. And, and so that was kind of my reality with that. Uh, and actually, I called my mother and I tried it because I thought my mother could do anything. She raised us in that neighborhood. I really was. Count- I asked my mother, could she get me out? I wanted to come home. Um, and right. so I think she said the sergeant told her he belongs to us. Well, you know what they tell him. And, you know, I, I don't even know. Oh, he said, oh, yeah. call your mother. They bring you the phone or take you up to the, take you up to Camo and give you a phone. I tell you, call your mother. And I wanted her to get me out of there. And I was 18 years old when I did that. So at 18, you know, I, it, it was just such an intense time for me that you block out everything and you have to use something to do it. And my choice of something to use was heroin or marijuana, anything that would cause my mind and mood to be altered. So 
I want to get into um, the the aspect of when you before you went over because we're going to dig into your first day in Vietnam. We're going to dig into you know the drug use over there and you know what it was like coming home. But before that, you served a year in the army before you deployed to Vietnam. What did you do during that year? AP. Roll call formations, uh, classes about war, warfare in Fort, Fort Bliss, Texas. Uh, did a lot of drinking, beer going on. Guys were coming back uh, in the unit that I was in, in at Fort Bliss as teachers, and they were coming back from Vietnam. And, you know, people, the Marical Division coming through there. Third Infantry Division, you know, they're wearing all these patches. And I mean, so that kind of, I said, I want to do that. Uh, but in gotcha. Fort Bliss, all I did was get prepared. Uh, I, I'm looking, using hindsight, to go to Vietnam because. So we were talking about what you did the first year that you were actually in the Army. Yeah. The first year that you served, what did you do? Uh, now, you did do kitchen duty, AP, um, roll call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, we went, you know, went on bivouacs, a couple of bivouacs, uh, mostly. With your field problems yeah, going yeah, out in yeah, the field. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of inspections, foot lockers. And, okay. and the year went by so fast in Fort Bliss, actually. Oh, I went to War Res a couple of times. Oh, boy, if I could just stay away from there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got arrested over there, man. I mean, so Fort Bliss was the place. And then a, a lot of guys were coming back from Nam going, coming to my unit in Fort Bliss. And there was a lot of drinking and drug use. And so these guys, and I was, believe it or not, known as Young Blood. Okay. Because I was always the youngest, or maybe one or two of us, I was always known as Young Blood. You can't tell it by looking at me now, but. I can see him in there. <laughs> I was not, and I and I took advantage of that. I was always wanted to go towards the older guys and just learn, you know. Gotcha. But they would take you under their wing and and help you, you know, get at attention, you know, and help you either to be able to do that belt buckle and oh, make the man because uh, at guard, on guard duty, you know, you can make the man. That way, you get off of guard. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! So whoever whoever had the best uniform got able to skip guard duty that night. I remember Mm -hmm. hearing stuff like that. Yeah, 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 and and did a lot of CQ. Okay, duties a lot lot of duties for basically for the guys coming back. We was doing that was the the part with KP and having extra and having a um, CQ duty a lot. Um, but then I started getting in trouble, uh, you know, and, and fighting, things like that. So but, during that first year, you were getting into fights, getting into trouble, and you just decided it's something for you, something, you got to change something in your life. So then you, you volunteered to go to Vietnam. Now, yeah. hey. Hey, people do the darndest things. You do not know how many times I sat down with soldiers when they first got to Iraq or when I came back and they just say, I can't wait to go. And I always tell them, be careful what you wish for. 
because it's a different world over there. It really you know? Is. Yes. So you told me your first day in Vietnam, your very first day, as soon as you landed, please explain that day and lay it out for our listeners. Yeah. So when I got to, when I got to Nam, got off the plane, I, I think it was, a, they was, they was flying commercial planes then, or I'm not sure when I got on the C-130, but you get off the plane with all your gear, uh, duffel bag and, and everything, and you got this brand new shiny set of jungle fatigues on, boots all nice and clean, and you're standing on the tarmac. And so it was probably two of, 200 of us mm-hmm. standing on the tarmac. It was very hot. I'll never forget. It was very, very hot standing there. And you know you got to stand because that's what you're taught to do. And uh, so out of the corner of my eye, uh, I caught a glimpse of a young guy, a scraggly, scruffy guy, hair grown over. He had real dirty jungle fatigues on. His boots were like mud red. And he had a dog with him, a canine. And they were both walking up the tarmac and and it just, I mean, it just sent chills. I was just looking at this guy and he was staring straight ahead. And he was walking and the dog was walking beside him, not missing a step. And the dog didn't look to the left or the right and neither did he. And Jay, I can tell you, that's the first time I ever seen a, K, a, a German shepherd with a chest. He, he, this dog was walking like with a chest, and it was just so eerie. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was that was the point where it I, I just went into a kind of a fear, like I felt weak in the knees, you know. And this is, as a matter of fact, my body got cool, as I recall, instead of hot. Yeah, but I did get weak in the knees. And they said he walked and, you know, he didn't look at us and the dog didn't look either. No, no tail. The dog's tail. The dog's tail was just mm-hmm. and he was just dog was just walking right there with his handler. And, uh, and so I didn't realize what kind of dog it was at that time, you know, but I'll get into that later on. Man. That's, that's, that was a rough day for me. Hey, I understand, you know, it's one of those days that you just wish you never had to live. You know, you have that. It was hot. Yeah. And you have that fear come over you. Like you're, you're just thinking to yourself, what did I just get myself into? Yeah. You know, and, and at that point, when you felt that fear, were you like, your first thought, were you thinking, how can I get home? Or were you ready and already dedicated to serve your year there? No, no, Jay. I'm, there's no hero story here. I, I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really was. I was scared. I was young. Yeah. Um, but I was strong. Mm-hmm. I was strong and I was very agile and quick. And, uh, I, I don't know if I felt safe or unsafe. I, I just don't know. I know I felt a fear come over me, a chill. Uh, and then I never, I had never seen uh, anybody like the Vietnamese people before. I mean, that 
just another culture of people. At 18 years old, seven, you know, I went to school in New, New Jersey and it was segregated for a long time. Then we got integrated, but all of my interactions were with people of color, unless I went to the store or something like that. Yeah. And then I had heard about people in black pajamas. Mm -hmm. And I saw, uh, I don't don't want to make no derogatory terms, but we would use language. I saw Mama-san, what we call it, and and some other people with all the people had black pajamas on. And so my thinking was, we all everybody's the enemy with black pajamas. Yeah. Uh, well, I got I call them pajamas, but those are the people's clothes. I mean, it's silky looking. You know what I'm saying? And the hats. It was just another culture. It was culture shock. Oh yeah. I'm sure that I got I got caught up in. Uh, but when you when the resilience comes because that stuff dissipates. Mm-hmm. Once you, once you get with people who are familiar with the with the space that you're about to occupy you know and so by me being young blood i was very well taken care of by the older guys and come on young blood pick that thing up get over here young you know put that they would always look out for me to make sure i didn't get hollered at yeah uh you know because i angered real easy i found out very quickly yeah that, that i that i would get angry and didn't care if i get whatever the consequences were i would I would get angry and I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I was at 18. I'm sure I was still a mama's boy or a neighborhood kid or something. I, you know, I wasn't a, I wasn't no man that I thought I was, but, but the army, they turned, they turned that just by virtue of being in the army, you know, kind of made a man out of me. I, 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 I it really did. It made me. Yeah. Uh, in, in less time than than I can imagine right now, you know, I was uh, I was an old timer in as far as time served in Vietnam. It came really quick in terms of what, because stuff happens every day, all day in war. You know, you you hear you hear loud noise of rockets coming in or somebody saying incoming. And you had to learn what's going on. We got to learn where the bunkers are. You know, I mean, and so it it just. It, it just grips you, and what you do with the trauma is what our families experience when you get back home. That's a that's a kind of another story, but um, yeah. So my first couple of days over there, Jay, were um, were full of fear, especially at night. Yeah, and then and and at night when we got to we went to uh, Swan Lock. First, first we got off the tarmac that day after probably about seven or eight hours, and everybody loaded in trucks, you know. But I'm 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 remembering Jay that at one point we were in a C-130, and it would put your duffel bag between your legs and the man in front of you, and I remember that first time getting on C-130, packing in with all them troops. Oh, I know where we were going. We were going from Cameron Bay. To Swanlock. Wow. I recall, yeah. Yeah. On the, yeah, we were going to Cameron Bay to, to Swanlock. And it, it, it was just, and I'm thinking back, I'm 18 years old now. And I'm, and I'm new, I'm, my, my birthday is in April. And I was in Vietnam April the 28th. Well, I couldn't go. That's why I was in Texas for a year. I was 17. And you ended up getting your orders for Vietnam on your 18th birthday. 
on my 18th birthday, man. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No. You know, and, and so my I guess my point is you can't you can't really send children into battle. No. You, you know, you have to and so everything that I learned, not everything, in in in, in the year that I was in the army before I went to Vietnam, it wasn't all useless, but most of it was. Yeah. So let me ask you this. When you first got there, you served with a CAV unit. 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment. 11th Armored Cav. 3rd Squadron. And you were a heavy equipment operator, but you ended up driving and then gunning an armored personnel carrier. I did. So you didn't even do your job over there, what you were trained to do. Not at you, all. You, Not at all. You, you worked for them. Mm-hmm. That was heavy equipment to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there you go. You're driving heavy equipment now. I see. You know? <laughs> so what was that like thinking that you joined a, to do a specific job, but when you went over there, you didn't even do that job? I felt betrayed. You felt betrayed? Oh, oh, I felt betrayed over and over. And that's another, because I'm telling you, when I was in Nam, I was bucked uh, going out into the field. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I burned a lot of I, latrine duty. That's what I'm just going to say to you. Yeah. I was, I was on latrine duty for a lot. And I, I, I used a lot of diesel fuel yep. uh, on latrine duty. So... And uh, I never, I never, I didn't get an Article 15 in Nam, but I, but I did. When I was getting ready to derose, Lieutenant Manfred, he stopped my Spec 5 promotion. Yeah. So you ended up getting, sending, going back as an E4. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you did not, like, you didn't get in trouble while you were over there. Well, that brings me up to a specific question, because I understand that only 25% of all service members that deployed to Vietnam were drafted, only 25% out of them. So that means 75% volunteered to join the military and shipped over there with their units or however they went over there. Mm -hmm. So with that happening, why was the drug use in Vietnam so bad well because it gave the, the drug especially opiate opioids uh, it, it gives you this type of courage mm-hmm. you, you become a very you become risky and we had after i was in nam a while i learned some of the i guess you call them myths or sayings or things that guys in vietnam said they said if you worry too much you're gonna get hit or if you care too much for anything or any around anybody, you're gonna get hit. You're not gonna make it home. So it's almost like uh, what happened to me one time, Jay. Somebody said something about my mother, and it was a Vietnamese lady. Mm. Anyway, that's another traumatic event. Uh, you know, I'm going through it at one at one point, but you know, I don't forgot the question, Jay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why was the drug use so bad in Vietnam? because of the fear and the killing and the bombs and it, and it gave you a, it, it relaxes you. If you, you know, anybody, oh, you got 16 chat members on there. All of them. I don't know how many have taken drugs or reefer, marijuana, whatever, whatever the case may be. You do it for that reason. The drug use because it was so available. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this while you were over in Vietnam, what was your drug of choice over there? 
Like, what did you use the majority of? Marijuana. Because Marijuana? The, because the heroin almost killed me. Gotcha. One time, one time, I and I and I had done heroin, so I thought I was a badass. <laughs> and somebody gave me because uh, it, it it would come in a earplug. Yep. Canister. You ever see the little plastic earplug? Oh Mama yeah. Sonda, they put pack it with heroin. You know, you can get a, wow. a one of those earplugs full of heroin for like a hundred dollars. Wow. American money, or or if you get MPC. It was American pay currency. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Okay. We had a lot of MPC with American. It was military money. Gotcha. Military pay currency. Yeah. Like for us, when we went to Iraq, we had the Eagle card, which was money that we had on there wherever we went. We just swiped yeah, it kind of yeah, like a credit yeah, card. Yeah. So my next question is, did the higher echelon understand what was going on with the drug use and were they a part of it? Yes and yes. Okay. I smoke, and the lieutenant, everybody would turn their collars under. So you don't know their rank. Even in the field, the, the, up, the upper echelon, they, they hit their, they don't want their rank seen in the field, but, but, but at night they would come out and we'd go sit by a water bladder or something, and, and Lou, Lou would come up. You know, I never smoked or anything with any colonels or stuff like that, but <laughs> lieutenants and captains, oh, yes. Yeah. And they come around, man, and um, especially they come in out of, out of especially chopper pilots. Wow, was high all the time. Oh my goodness! And and and, and they would, ha- we would have something called free fire mm-hmm. in the evenings before uh, the sun goes down. The guard getting ready for guard duty or whatever, and you test test your weapons and stuff on the bunker. And we would have free fire, and Vietnamese people would be coming from the trash dump in the line of fire and you know oh wow yeah yeah I, I, you know i just don't want to say because yeah i'm guilty yeah as heck as heck jay and um you know that's the takes a toll it takes a huge toll you know trust me you don't have to go on any further about that because i know yeah so wow that's bad how how yeah how, how long within your Day in Vietnam, did you start using? Was it kind of like right away you were like, oh my God, I need this to calm down? Was it towards the end? Was it in the middle? No, the the marijuana, the pot, I used it two days after I was over there. I got my hand because it was everywhere. Wow. I was selling, calling Jays. But the, the, the heroin I used after a firefight, a uh, buck sergeant. Yeah. Black guy. I was trembling. I peed my, pissed my pants. Wow, and uh, and he just hits a young blood. Come here, and he put put some heroin on my face like that. Wow, calm me right down. Calm me right down. Yeah, I was embarrassed, but I wasn't scared no more. There you go. I mean, it's 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 at that point where you know, I, and this is something that I dealt with mm-hmm. growing up through the army. You know, a lot of the Vietnam vets told me, you know, I respect you guys more than what we did because you guys really don't know who the enemy is. Mm. They wear plain clothes. They do, you know, everything throughout the day and they fire at you at night. Mm. But if I had to go through what you guys went through in Vietnam, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Dealing with living in the jungle, dealing with the weather there, dealing with not knowing what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. So many, you know, questions 
mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. And, and some people tell me, you know, you'll handle it when you have to handle it. Mm-hmm. But now I understand why the things that happen there happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and trust me, it's, it's a scary moment in life. And I, I truly understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a trying time, but it, you know, it wasn't all bad, uh, really seriously bad because we had some, some times I made some really good friends over there. Um, and you know, I, I just built all these memories, uh, about my time in the military and using hindsight, I got an honorable discharge and it's serving me well, yeah. right to, right to this day. No, we're, we're going to definitely get into that because I want to, I want to know how that happened because <laughs> we haven't even gotten you home from right. Vietnam yet to right. discuss right. that. So mm-hmm. one thing that I do want to talk about is, are you able to discuss what happened the day that you received your combat infantry badge and how that went about? Yeah. So, so we were on um, resupply, standing security on resupply and uh, of water bladders. Was, you know, we would just go out with the tracks and, and they would bring ammo and drop a water bladder off um, at a location. And uh, I remember one instance in Benoit. We was going from down from Benoit to Long Bend on something called a thunder run mm-hmm. and the enemy came out no somebody the, one of the trucks in front hit a mine and, and you know it was just just chaotic uh oh and, and i can remember we pulled into a barn jay it was monsoon season mm-hmm. and we got incoming and a, a rocket dropped in the top of this barn where we had pulled the track in and we was getting incoming and Lieutenant Manfredi was piling everybody in the back of this ACAB and he was closing the door. He was closing the door and Stan, a friend of mine named Stan, made him open the door so that I could get in. And I mean, they just destroyed that barn, but I did get inside and Stan, my friend Stan, he threatened Lieutenant Manfredi. Um, and, and that was a firefight. But as far as my, my CIB, they was just passing those things out. Like candy, huh? Like candy, yeah. So to be quite honest, it wasn't no hero move or nothing yeah. like that. I just got it in my records hey. when, I, when I came home. And so a, a, a CIB is something that everybody got. But look at how much action was over there. I mean, you look guys much, dealt with a everywhere. lot of action. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was on. They, we, would, we would work with them in the daytime, like I said, and they'd come in, count air, how many airplanes are coming in. Yep. Papa San would come and work all day. Wow. You know, come in, you see the same person that's turning around the, the Claymore on Bunker Guard. You see him in there working in the barbershop the next day. Yep. Uh, wow. So you, so you went from being a newbie in Vietnam to being a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were the man, the myth, the legend. Before you left, you knew what was going on. So, <laughs> so what I want to know is when you found out you were leaving Vietnam and you were able to just 
get your equipment and leave Vietnam. Tell me about that. Jay, I'm telling you, man, it's a bittersweet because the same thing happened when I came in country. Yeah. Standing in that airport, getting ready to leave Vietnam. And when the when the new plane came in, the, the airport, everybody erupted. Hey, this, that was out. That was out. <laughs> I think we used to call it that was our uh, our bird or something we used to call it getting back home. But this is what they did. Everybody had uh, I had a, a damn fifth of Chevy's Regal. On the plane, I mean, everybody, all the all the all the GIs, all the combat veterans had liquor or something. They was taken on the plane, and this and you know it was commercial flight, so we just had a grand old time. But that that day, that day was like just like none other. Especially when the plane when it leaves Vietnam, it circles. Yeah, <laughs> and we get to look. <laughs> And I was like, that's the first time I realized how many bomb craters. Wow. If you look at, look at a country smoldering in war from the air, I mean, way up in the air, the whole place looks like a, a bomb craters just everywhere. But there's towns and cities, man, that's been blown up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that place. And then, you know, we didn't know nothing about Agent Orange and. You know, we just knew that the jungle was dying. It always looked like a vampire movie. Yeah. It, it, you know, when you go like the rubber trees, they all grow in a straight line. So, you know, some of the places where the vegetation had been killed, you could still see the, the smoke. It, it always looked like the dawn of the morning. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and Jay, some of the time when I was over there, we used to hear the, the bombs when they dropped. And for a long time, as a kid, I thought it was a train. Wow. I said, now, where in the heck is the train station here? <laughs> that, that was the... Because <laughs> you could hear it go boom, and then for a long time, you hear a sound. It sounds like a train going through. And I'm saying, man, where's the train? And I've heard the sound of the train before, but I couldn't distinguish yeah. with the bomb. So I, you know, I knew that the bomb shook the earth, yeah. but I, the sound... so. And that's kind of when I learned Jay in war and, and, and bullets and things like that, that the, that the sound, the light travels faster than the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. And so as a kid, you know, this information is, it's like a novelty to you. But when you get older and you, you start to realize, like, sessions like this, talking to you and other people, you start to, to realize and you start to fill in the blanks mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of stuff that I, I've forgotten about, but when someone brings it back to my memory, you know, it excites me. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to ask you, was, was it like just when you left, was it just like a big weight lifted off of your shoulder? Like, you know what? I made it. I'm going. I am one of those who survived. I am not one of those statistics. I made it out. That stress just left and you felt free. Did you feel free after that? I felt agitated all the time. I felt agitated. I felt displaced. Agitated. But I was, yeah, but I was very. Really? uh, I mean, the freedom part, 
didn't really come because when I left Vietnam, I still had another year to do in the army. Yeah. So, so I did, I did feel a really uh, great sense of relief and, and kind of, you know, what fear, when fear leaves your body. Yeah. You know, you can feel, you can, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it leave. You can feel the stress lifting up off you. And I was just yeah. so happy because I was going to see my mother again. Nice. The funny thing is, is the day you got there, the fear came. And I'm sure it didn't leave you until the day you flew out. Every day is a day <laughs> where you have to be wary of something. And it was yep. so hot and miserable. You know, I yeah. never knew what the term dig in. Yeah. Man, wow! For real, when it's when it's a matter of life and death. Yeah, I I I never knew what it felt like to crawl on the ground naked. Yeah, well, because you're getting incoming. Yeah, right. Low crawling to your bunker. You got to get out that out the tent, out the hooch, get to the bunker, and and mortars mortars are dropping in a one twenty two rockets. Wow! And you ain't got time to put on no drawers and. Yeah. Pants and socks. So, so I want to move from Vietnam to your time back in the rear, and we're going to cover this pretty quick. So, when you went back, did you stop using drugs, or did you continue using drugs after you went back to the rear? When I went back to the rear, I always looked for drugs. Okay, so I you always were... because that is I was addicted to heroin yeah. and opioids. Okay, and, you know I was I was I was. Not physically addicted all the time, mm-hmm. but but up here I was addicted mentally. I got addicted mentally at, at probably at age fourteen. Wow! Yeah, uh, from and what I'm learning today. Uh, so, yeah, could you ahead. tell us why your last sixty days in the army was spent in in <laughs> in the stockade, and why? What is that? I was I got convicted of burglary, robbery, actually, in pursuit of uh, narcotics. And that was while you were serving? That's, that's, why, I was, that's why I went to the stockade. Wow. And, and during that time, so even though you dealt with all those trials and tribulations throughout the Army, they still gave you an honorable discharge exiting the Army. Was that common back then that no matter what happened, they gave everybody honorable discharge? It, it was uh, when you went to combat, mm-hmm. came back, it, the mitigating circumstances, all of that. You know, um, I, I feel very fortunate using hindsight. Yeah. Uh, because at this point in my life, uh, being an honorably discharged veteran is. Set you up for success most- for your future. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. And I I wish they still did that today. I know soldiers who who have deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq and got out with dishonorable or honorable or general under honorable conditions, you know? Yeah. And and they have served in combat situations, which which baffles me tremendously. Yeah, that's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that, that I think needs to change. But you know, I, I want to move on and I want to really discuss, you know, you exited the army in, in 1971. Correct. With an honorable discharge. Correct. And nine months later from you getting out of the army, you were sentenced to eight years in prison. In prison. Yes, sir. 
Why? What happened? Heroin addiction is what happened. Uh, Vietnam is what happened. Um, South 10th Street is what happened. The, the youth house is what happened. Uh, but moving forward, I got out of the army. I was living here in New Jersey and uh, I bought some heroin, took it back to where I was born. I was born in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I was, mm-hmm. sell- I was selling heroin. I had a girlfriend and I had family there. Okay. Just back from the army and selling drugs and using drugs. And I got busted. Uh, kicked the door in, and, you know, and I went to jail, stayed in jail for quite some time. Used heroin in jail. So my addiction was just being relocated. You know, mm-hmm. um, there was so much dysregulation in my life yeah. at that point in my life. And I can remember waking up in Richmond State Prison, Richmond, Virginia State Prison. They call it the wall, behind the wall. As a matter of fact, they had the electric chair in that thing at that time. And I can remember waking up at age 25. I woke up, it was in April, and it was snowing. One of those years in April, it snowed. And I looked out that window. I could not remember from 17 to 25 what I had done. It it was just, and I started, I broke down and, you know, and just boo-hooed and cried and everything. And, you know, and I'm proud to say that I was processing it that way now that I learned more Mm -hmm. about how the body and the mind works and how dysregulation uh, can be expelled. Yeah. You know, but that took a while. Uh, for that to happen, for me to learn, and I'm 70 years old now, and so yeah. I was very fortunate to get an honorable discharge, Jay. Uh, exactly. To be quite honest with you, United States of America uh, is. I wouldn't want to live any other place on the planet no. at this no. point in my life, from what I know, and um, so I'm very proud of that. Yes. Uh, but here's the thing, Jay, and, and why we're talking about this, and you're saying about your guy that went to Iraq, and they got these honorable discharges. When you go to war, like you're like at a young, tender age, it gets embedded in you some of the behaviors that are against the law or, you know, I mean, you become a, a, a person that's traumatized over and over and over again. And what do you do with that trauma? What do you do? You create these memory capsules yeah. that float around just waiting for a reason to be accessed. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the post-traumatic stress disorder situation come in. And you start to have these nightmares. And, and if you can get something to ease the pressure of that, then that's what, that's what I did. I used heroin because when I got back from Vietnam, and prison was comfortable for me, by the way. Oh, wow. When I got back from Vietnam, um, Jay, I was homicidal. Wow. You know, I, I, I put guns in different places in the city where I went. I'm not going to say what I did and where I got the guns, but I got my hands on a bunch of long, long guns. And, and I had them around the city because I was selling drugs. And like my thinking was everywhere I went, I wanted to be able to get my hands on a weapon. Mm-hmm. I never, never had to do that because I got arrested. Yeah, and guns started to be found all over the city. Uh, anyway, so I went to jail, came out, 
uh, May parole. So how many years did you serve out of the eight? Out of the eight, I, I served almost three years. Okay. And I, made, and I made parole. That's good. It was, yeah, it was good that I made parole and yep. I stayed on parole about three and a half months. Uh-oh. What happened? <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> I went back. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? So, oh, man. Uh, yeah, so, it, it, you know, and I'm realizing the drugs and everything is just a byproduct. It's the chaos that comes along with all of that, man. And uh, so that's a, that's a whole nother story. But I, w- I got, went right back to jail and uh, served. And, I, and I, as a matter of fact, I made parole again, a second time on the wow. eight years. But see, in Virginia at that time, they give you something called comeback time, which means that, mm-hmm. well, you understand that term, right? If you, if you come back, they add some time onto the time that you are, especially if you bring a new charge. Yeah. And so I was stuck in this recidivism cycle. Okay, because even even you know I could go to jail and my idea, my thinking was I can do, I can do ten years standing on my head. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but you know, my life had just changed. I I couldn't even buy a drink when I went to prison. I had I had fought in a war, came home, got an honorable discharge, and. I couldn't even buy a drink when I first went to jail. Wow. Because I was too young. Yeah. Think about it. And so the impression for me was, okay, this is my life. And, you know, they just going to have to catch me. Yeah. Because I was hooked on drugs. It was an inside job. And that's what's happening today, Jay. The, the, you know, and so... I got caught in a recidivism cycle yeah. in prison and all of that. And we're definitely going to get at Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. Um, but I want to know, mm-hmm. when you went back, how long did you serve for your second out of the finishing eight years? When I, when I went back the second time, I think I, I served another like four years, almost four years. Four, so, so you were basically in there for almost seven years total. Almost seven years total. And when you got out that time, did you learn your lesson or did you keep going back? Heroin, Jay. I went, when I got out that time, I left Virginia so fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Figured I'm running again, but where am I going to go? Newark, New Jersey is where I came. Yeah, which probably wasn't any better. No, it was worse. Yeah. Actually. So then I started uh, getting multiple arrests over the years. Uh, for different things, writing checks and, you know, just to get drugs. That, that, that was the uh, yeah. mitigating circumstances behind. I was just running after heroin and being a street person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was my life for quite a while. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, for quite a while. For almost 30 years. Wow. I was addicted. I was... My on, the only thing I could think of when I would go to jail, places like Caldwell, which is in New Jersey, here, uh, when I get out, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get me some clothes and I'm going to get some dope. I'm gonna find my friends and get some dope, and that was my life. And I was, and then by that time, I was uh in my 30s, going into my 40s, you know. But I started. At 14, using heroin, went through the military prison and all of that. And I didn't stop until I was 45 years old. So it took you all that time, almost 
like 30 years, just over 30 years, I think. And then you decided at the age of 45, enough is enough. Yeah, but I, I didn't decide it. I mean, I was tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to find an easy way out. But and then I met my wife. Okay. So now, now the plot's turning. Mm. Yes, it is. So so you've been using drugs for all of those years, and then at the age of 45, you meet your wife. wife. Was she the reason you decided to go to rehab? No, I had had decided to go to rehab because I was homeless. Okay. And I was living, yeah, and because, so the VA, Mm -hmm. let me put the disclaimer on there, because the VA always had a bed for me. Okay. So I would go, I would go into the VA hospital in the wintertime and come out in the summertime. Gotcha. Go through their rehab, their program, have, you know, three hots and a cot all the time, all that good stuff. That, yeah. No, then so, I would, go ahead. So you didn't take it serious. You were just looking at it as a place to stay. That's, that's what it becomes. Yeah. Okay. So when did you start taking it serious? Because this is a very bad habit that you went through. Mm-hmm. When did you start taking this serious? I started taking this serious after my my first wife died, uh, Marie. She, uh, you know, we were both hooked on drugs, and then she uh, had some other complications of uh, health, and, and she passed away. She died. Uh, I was living in Tuckahoe, New York. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Marie died, and but I never, even after she died, I didn't stop using, you know. And even after I found out that I was HIV positive and all that good stuff, I, I didn't stop using drugs until I don't know, a little over nine thousand days ago, I met my wife, and uh, so I've been clean since. I've been clean and sober ever since that. Uh, but I think wow. the thing that really got me was um the responsibility that she that she that she offered and the, and i went to church okay um and a pastor gave me some responsibility father james as a matter of fact he's the one that married us catholic priest and he gave me the responsibility of warming up the church and opening the doors and making sure that the older parishioners would get in out of the rain comfortably. So some days I would stand out with a big umbrella, open car door. And that's what I did at the church. And my wife was in the church when I met her. Nice. And so that that's what happened. And actually I went after my wife as a as a joke. My nephew challenged me to go talk to her because she was the only girl on that block that nobody could catch. <laughs> <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. So I took the chat. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, she hates for me to tell that story, but that's what happened, Jay. And and when I saw her and found out that she was also in recovery, okay, I, I clung to her. I mean, yeah. and 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 nine. I met her, and nine months later, we were married. When I asked her to marry me, I hadn't known her but nine, nine, ten months, almost a year. Wow. And she told me, she said, uh, because I was I was scared, mm-hmm. to be quite honest with you, too not have somebody uh, to lean on somebody to be responsible for yeah you know and, and i realized that that was that was what my calling is you know to be a responsible person so this irresponsibility and this chaos that was in my life all this time was just a proven ground mm-hmm. 
for me to be able to 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 make sure that the younger generation or you know that they know not to go that route no we're we're definitely going to get into that too because yeah that's a big life of your, that's a big part of your story now very big and part. I, I definitely do want to cover that before we 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 leave today um but one thing i want to talk about so you started really taking it serious when you met your your wife now i met my wife yes and did when you started taking it seriously, did you have any relapse, like relapse? No, not one. No? No. That is amazing. No, that, not one. Not one. And I stopped good. smoking cigarettes. There you go. There you uh, go. But when that, I met my wife, I was in a rehab. Okay. I was in a VA rehab uh, of myself, and I would come home on the weekends, and it was, it was in July. Yeah. And I'll never forget it at all. Uh, my nephew challenged me. And I called <laughs> out to my wife. I called out to my wife, and she turned around. She told me, she said, if you're not talking about Jesus, you don't have anything to say to me, brother. <laughs> so she put the challenge out to you. <laughs> no, no. She, and she put the, she put the, heat, yep. the heat on the top of my head because hey. it got so hot. That day, and she said, "If you want to talk to me, meet me in church." There you go. And she gave me she gave me a beeper number, so you know how long ago that was. <laughs> she gave you a purpose. But I went to church. Yes. Yeah, gave me a purpose. That's and right. So, and I went to and when I came home that next weekend, I was at her church. Yes. So that's amazing. So you've been clean for over nine thousand days, which which yes, I yes. applaud you for that. That is awesome, mm-hmm. and you've done. So so many things since then. I mean, you're a co-host of a talk show radio. Mm-hmm. You're you're a host of a podcast yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus, mm-hmm. you you deal with juvenile, you know, drug court mentor. Yeah, you deal mm-hmm. with adult drug court, you know, recovery couch. What got you into these things? When did you know it was time for me to give back and let these young men and women and these adults know what I went through and tell my story to help them out? Well, so I, I didn't even know that that was, uh, you know, something that I could really do when I, I moved to West Virginia mm-hmm. uh, it was 17 years ago. That's where we lived. Um, and when I went to West Virginia uh, and I was, uh, I was 100 percent total and permanent and I bought a house. That's a good feeling. My wife and I. Yeah, it's a very good yep. feeling. It, uh, it, it helped me relax yes. to be able to have some. You know, I don't have to have the worries about paying rent and all that stuff if I manage my money. And so my wife, that was that was part of her, but I didn't know it at the time. So but to, to when I first got into the work that I do now, I started volunteering for a lot of organizations in West Virginia, Habitat for Humanity. I sat on the board of directors and I helped to build uh, probably four houses. All for veterans, wow. veteran family. Yeah, awesome. yeah, you know. And so I, I, I volunteered. So I worked with them for about two years. I was on the board of directors for the United Way of the Eastern Panhandle, which is another nonprofit. Um, I was on board of directors for Spiritual Warriors, which is a an organization that works at the VA hospital in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And they're just a bunch of veterans. Uh, we get meet in the chapel every morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. and just talk about Jesus and recovery and, you know, what we're going to do next and after rehab, then what, that kind of thing. 
and I, I volunteered to be a recovery coach. I went to, uh, with uh, Senator John Unger in West Virginia. He came up and got CCAR training for recovery coaches. And he, I went to the Recovery Coach Academy is what he, uh, he started it. And um, so I, vo- I volunteered. I put in probably 8,000 volunteer hours in the last five years that I was in West Virginia. Wow. And I learned a lot. Uh, I was a um, big brother, so to speak, in juvenile drug court. Uh, for a time, and then uh, the adult drug court, you know, where I would uh, make a case for people to get help, not handcuffs. Yep. And that proved to be very successful in giving me, um, you know, I was learning. I was such a student. Mm-hmm. I even, I even uh, looked up something called professional volunteer <laughs> and that's a real that's a real occupation it sounds like an oxymoron but it's, it's a you can google it and it yeah. comes up to where you write grants for volunteers uh, and i i work um closely with the church and you know, wherever i am what city i'm in and those are the things that keep me st- uh, stable safe and grounded Good. my wife was in recovery for 10 years. And I realized that she's the type of woman that she's not having it. Oh yeah. That she's not having none of it. And so she's been with me through the nightmares, the post-traumatic stress, uh, terror, night terrors. That's a real thing Mm -hmm. that I, you know, and so if someone is not in bed with me, when I start with the night terrors and someone's not able to turn me over or something like that, and you know the doctor says I can stop breathing. They they put me on this CPAP machine and oh yeah. Oh, I got I got the uh, diabetes from Vietnam, Agent oh, Orange. Wow. So I'm uh, yeah yeah. I was part of the class action suit against Dow. I got to put that yeah. in there. Um, because and and when I went in the army, Jay, I wanted to be a career soldier. But when I when I went to Vietnam and came back. I was just a radical. Oh, yeah. I went to Detroit, and my sister took me downtown shopping, and I was like, hey, brothers, hey, what's up, y'all? And when I came to Vietnam, we was doing all of that, and I, I couldn't turn it off. Wow. And when you didn't respond to me, all of this anger and hostility would come out because I felt like... You didn't feel that brotherhood, you know, when, when people didn't respond. And, and I felt right. the same thing coming back right. from Iraq oh, and getting man. out of the Army. Feels like you don't have that brotherhood anymore, and you just don't know what to do. And I, and I <laughs> miss it, and I miss, and guess what? And I, I tried to enlist to go back. That's when I found out that my enlistment code. That's when I found out about that little thing up yep, in the corner. Re four code, re four. Hey, said, we don't want him. I was like, man, what? But you know what? God works in mysterious ways, and He, he took does. you down this path, and and look at how much help you're giving to other people and you know it, it was meant to happen there's no yeah. telling what would have happened if you went back in the military right, right, and right. how your life would have turned out you know god sent you down this path and he did it for a reason and you have lived all of these trials and tribulations and you came out on the other side shining brighter than you ever have before resilience yes resilience mm-hmm. is key Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's something that needs to be looked at all the time. 
You know, everybody mm-hmm. needs resilience. They need the resilience. They need to know that they have it. Yeah. If you, you know, you have it, you've gone through something. Exactly. And, you know, you, you, if you got something that you need to get off, get those memory capsules. And, oh, yeah. You know, get them expelled. Yes. But to be able to, to look at what you did. And when I came from Vietnam, well, you know, after I came out of jail and started looking at how people felt about Vietnam, and, and it really pissed me off when people say that's the war we lost. I, and I believe that that's the war we abandoned. I, I just don't say all the names and stuff on that wall. I would not dare stand before them and say that we lost something. Yeah. Uh, like a like a war. That's and so that irritates me. So I had to be able to process that out of my system. So the 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 post traumatic stress, Jay, is uh for me was like a uh the jack in the box. That's what I used the drugs for because I didn't want him to come out. He the, if the music stopped and that little thing popped out the box and that's a metaphor I'm using. Yeah. Then then my homicidal side. Gotcha. Would be activated. Yep. And so I, I needed, in my mind, my thinking was, because I probably ain't going to hurt a fly. Yeah. You know, and for real, for real. But it's very scary when you get angry about something and you don't know what to do about it. Oh, yeah. And so the only thing that you got is a fight or flight. Yep. You know, and, and, and so the little jack in the box. And I always tell that story, all the counseling that I've ever taken. I said, you know, that, that little scary clown thing in that box yeah. must, must not get out. Exactly. Must not pop out. Exactly. Um, and so I mean, a lot of people might not understand that part, but it's understandable. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> and, and I understand. understand. I understand. Yeah. But yep. well, one thing I would have to say is from somebody who started at the age of 14, dropped out of high school, went to reform school, joined the military, went to Vietnam, got out of Vietnam, got in more trouble, got out of the army, went to prison, got out of prison, went back to prison, got out then kept going back and forth for basically the the time that you did many, many years, many, many years, and now become the man that you are today. Just imagine all the lives that you have saved just from your story alone. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I perceive that. And I see yes. it. I see it that way now. You know, I, I yes. can always see it that way. And it gives me oh, a lot yeah. of momentum, you know, to be even to be invited to come on and, 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 and talk about, you know, my life. Definitely. Because I think it's really important um, that we come up with a way to, to archive this stuff for our yes. children. And the generations uh, after so that them. No, the generations after yes. them. And, and, and the job that I'm working right now, which we'll get into yes. later, I guess, is, well, um, it's very, very trying. But yes. To me, it, it's it's all cooperating with my experience. Exactly, and I will tell you, I will tell you that your story is like no other that I have ever heard, and you earn my respect, you earn my support after everything you have been to. And on that note, 
I would love to thank you for coming on our show and telling your story and being brave enough to tell your story mm. because mm. veterans and communities out in, in the world need to hear these stories. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for coming on Combat Zone 360 and telling your story. You're very welcome, Jay. Yes. Anytime, All right. Thank, anytime. thank you. And please, until next time, thank you for listening and make sure you think of veteran. Yes. I want to give a special thanks to Jesse Blaze Snyder for allowing Combat Zone 360 to use his music for our amazing podcast.